Now, I have been joined in the studio today, of course, by uh, my guest, Martin Booth. Martin, you are, of course, spokesman of Stop the NHS sell-off in Cambridgeshire and Peterborough. Yeah. Could you just tell me a little bit about what you're about, exactly? Uh, uh, yes, uh, yeah, good morning. Um, it, it's a very broad campaign that was set up last year um, in response to a specific threat here in Cambridgeshire and Peterborough to privatise a large uh, swathe of NHS services. Um, what's happened is that the people who make decisions about the health service in Cambridgeshire in the county, which is a clinical commissioning group, um, have decided to reconfigure services for elderly people to have a more integrated service, which is a good thing. I mean, it, it's, it's good to have more integration between community services, some hospital services, mental health, etc. But then they took the decision to work the whole thing out to tender uh, without consulting the public, which is something that we've been strenuously objecting to, um, and with, as a result of which bids have been submitted and today hopefully we'll get confirmation of which bids have come in but they come from a whole range of private organisations as well as uh, some NHS organisations so you've got possibly Virgin or Care UK or United Healthcare who operate under the uh, uh, pseudonym Optum um, possibly taking over a large amount of, uh, of, of health care in, in, in this region. I mean, the government said that they weren't privatising the NHS. I mean, clearly that's just not true if one of these people gets hold of all these services. Now, can I ask, is the objection uh, more about the fact that you haven't been consulted about that? Because, I mean, money is being squeezed on the NHS budget. Yeah. I mean, you can't deny yeah. that. Is, I mean, you've got to find the money from somewhere. Yeah. So if the money isn't, if, if they don't sell off for whatever reason, what other options do you no. feel there are? Well, I mean, I find it very hard to see how anybody's going to save any money by handing over a service like this to the private sector. Um, there were a couple of companies that were in the running that have pulled out. Uh, one is Capita, who were putting in a joint bid with existing community providers, Cambridgeshire Care Services. Another one was Serco, who of course have now got a terrible reputation with the government even scrapping their contracts with Serco because of uh, uh, alleged fiddling the figures. Uh, but they have pulled out um, because they can't see any way of making money, which makes me wonder what the companies that are, are bidding for it think they're going to get out of it. And I can only assume it's a foot in the door to having a much greater say in the running of, of, of whole health services so, so they can dictate where money is spent and where, what isn't. Uh, as regards to the issue of the squeeze of resources, quite honestly, we think that more resources could be put in, but money could also be saved if money wasn't being wasted on exercises like this. Clinical Commissioning Group have already said they spent the best part of a million pounds on this exercise when they're over eight million pounds in the red. OK. Um, I've had, of course, I had a statement from uh, the uh, Clinical uh, Commissioning Group today because they mm -hmm. couldn't be here with us. Uh, the clinical lead for the uh, Cambridgeshire and Peterborough uh, Clinical Commission Group's Older People Programme, Dr Arnold uh, Furtek, said, this process is about getting the best possible health services for older people and providing them in uh, more joined-up and innovative ways. We're always uh, following a formal procurement process, so there are some limitations on what information can be released when, but we are committed uh, to being open as possible about the programme. There is a mix of NHS and independent sector providers bidding in the procurement process. Uh, the uh, intention is that our fairly uh, elderly patients and their families and carers will experience a better service, and uh, whoever is finally selected as the preferred provider, the service will be made NHS-funded, provided under the NHS contract contract and free uh, at the point of need. How would you say to that one? Well, first of all, on the issue of um, 
the, the, the process and information. Yes, they've been hiding behind this issue of commercial confidentiality and have refused until now to release documents which we clearly feel should have been in the public domain, like, for instance, the outline specification document, which is, deals with basically what service um, the requirements is expected to be required. Exactly, and this is something that the public have got a right to know. This is a service affecting hundreds of thousands of people. I can say to you that we have been uh, looking at legal options about this. Um, there's been nothing decided on that. But uh, we believe that quite possibly in response to prospect of uh, some sort of action like that being taken, we understand that the CCG are now going to start releasing some of this information in a limited way. But they're only doing it because, you know, they're concerned about the possible implications if they don't. We believe that information about the services that people are going to be using should be out there. Andrew Lansley and David Cameron have both used the phrase, no decisions about me without me. Well, come on, where is it? That's what we should be getting. And never mind all the... Com that's one of the problems with privatisation. Decisions get withheld from the public on the grounds of commercial interests. So, no, we want the information out there, please. Okay, that's fine. There are a couple of um, inaccuracies they say uh, that are in your statements that you have released out there, and if you don't mind, I'll go over them with you sure. briefly on air. Uh, the contract is not for £1 billion pounds over five years, but approximately £800 million over five years. What do you say to that yes, one? Yes, well, it, we, it is, we said it was about a £1 billion pounds over five years. Um, the, if, it's, if they're now saying £800 million, okay, well, clearly there's £200 million that they're not going to be spending on service that somebody needs. I mean, the figures have always been very opaque. You know, this is, again, something the public have got a right, a right to know. And, in fact, the details of the contract are not even going to be consulted on until the contract has been awarded, which is, which is outrageous, really. OK. Uh, Care UK is part of a consortia which also includes uh, Lincolnshire uh, Community Health Services, NHS Trust, and the Norfolk Community Health Care, mm. NHS Trust. Anything on that one at all? Well, it's a very sad situation where um, NHS organisations feel that they have to link themselves to private profit-making companies. Care UK is a company that made a substantial donation to Andrew Lansley's office before the, uh, the last general election. You know, so you have to wonder what motive these people is. No, we want to, we want to see NHS bidders. We know there are NHS bidders, and of course we'd support NHS bidders getting this contract. OK, all right. And the last one they've raised is um, the Cambridgeshire Community Services has joined the Optimum bid, mm. um, but they were a part, originally part of sorry, the consortia led by Capita, which withdrew early in the procurement process. Mm. Well, well, Capita, as I said earlier, are a company which withdrew uh, from the bidding process, but on Health Service Journal revealed that it was on the grounds that they didn't see how they were going to make money out of the contract. Uh, Cambridgeshire Community Services, unfortunately, have now decided to team up with what's basically United Healthcare, Optum is the, the name that they give to their British operation, which is a huge American conglomerate. We all know the record of healthcare in, in the United States. It's appalling. Um, what I'd hope to see is community, Cambridge Community Services teaming up with other NHS organisations to, to run these services. Okay, so if people want to get involved and, uh, and find out more, what can they do? How can they get hold of you and what's the best way to place to plead you? Because you've got something ongoing today, haven't you? That, that's right. Well, the Clinical Commissioning Group is meeting this afternoon and those meetings are held in public. So we're going to be going lobbying that meeting as we've done before. We'll have people there telling them as they go in and it'll be a lively, uh, you know, peaceful uh, protest, if you like. But also um, members of the public can go into the meeting and ask questions. So we will be going in there and asking questions about, you know, why they continue with this, what information they're releasing. Uh, and uh, and so on. 
as regards the campaign, um, they can contact. I'm sure a lot of your listeners are on Facebook. There's a Facebook uh, group, Facebook page, um, uh, where they can contact us, and um, the, the, we uh, issue press releases, press statements, and they can get involved um, and, and that way and get in contact with us. We'll be having a lot more campaigns and a lot more activities going on. I say, I suppose the more the more people you've got in number, the more you feel you'll be listened to. Well, well, one thing that I can say is we've got so far over four thousand people signed petitions to say you know they don't want to see nhs services privatized i'm sure we'll get a lot more than that as we get more people out in this campaign i'm absolutely confident the majority of people in this county don't want to see the nhs privatized and that's the message it really needs to be got across okay thank you very much for coming in this morning and of course i wish you all the best uh, like i say if you want to find out more about the um stop the nhs sell-off in Cambridgeshire and peterborough go online to facebook uh, and and go on their website there also don't forget you can go along to the meeting today at uh, one o'clock at the masonic hall is that that's correct? right it's in bateman street just off hills road there you go you heard it here first cambridge 105 uh, breakfast with me menikotari of course thank you very much for coming in today thank you from 10 till 1. Mid mornings with Phil Rowe. Now, the subject of iridology. I've got my guest in front of me this morning. It's Pete Jackson Main. I think I called him Main Jackson. <laughs> I've got him the right way around this time. Also known as iridodiagnosis. I'm sure he'll put me right if I've got that wrong. Sometimes called iridiagnosis as well. I'm sure it would be probably better to just call it iridology. That way I can pronounce it properly. Uh, Pete, thank you so much for managing to come into the show today. We had an interesting uh, chat off air beforehand. So iridology is something I had, I admit, never even hit my vocabulary before right. I was talking to your <laughs> wife recently yeah. who said that you're into this subject you, you've been in Cambridge now for quite a number of years you arrived here it's in 1974 40 years to, uh, this year yeah. it is isn't it yeah. 40 years my goodness <laughs> yeah. studied here at the University of Cambridge yeah. uh, you did uh, English correct and uh, must have left after the three four years and I did. did your masters or whatever it is you did but yeah. you found yourself as a young man uh, on a shall we say a little bit of a rocky road after that you tell me yes i, I had health problems um, subsequent to my st- period of study um, three years of not really looking after myself and burning the candle at both ends don't so, we all when we're sort of 22 <laughs> well, and maybe yeah, going through it's university it's fairly normal it's fairly normal and the student union bars are open and in those days well you yeah. could probably smoke uh, certainly well, absolutely tobacco yeah, and you could yeah, go around yeah, the yeah. campus and do that and we, nobody we cared and we certainly did and you did it in the bars and you probably even i remember in my early days going to the downing site and working in some of the laboratories you even caught people smoking in the labs which you really it, shouldn't have done because there were all sorts uh, of amazing to think of when you when you're yeah, the situation today you know yeah. solvents and you yeah. could almost see the vapor coming yeah. out of out of flasks and things you yeah. know all the places are going to blow up you know but yeah. nobody seemed to care too much and obviously no. it got tighter and tighter and tighter so as a young man of 22, and uh, you maybe, as you say, had a few excesses going on, but you came out uh, of your academic uh, stream, shall I say, with your qualification. Well, what happened to you next? Well, I, had a, I, I, I was like everybody, you know, you don't feel well, you go to the doctor. Uh, so I went to my doctor and, and repeated. He's a very nice doctor, I have to say. I'm nothing against him at all. But he, every time I sat in front of him, he would scratch his head and say, I have no idea what's going on with you. So I was obviously, uh, you know, I didn't feel well. He couldn't find anything wrong. So I was kind of um, pushed out to try and find my own solutions. And um, a friend of mine recommended me to a local lady who just set up practice in Coton, just outside Cambridge. Mm. And, um, and I, I, not knowing what to expect, I went along there and she peered into my eyes 
and told me uh, in about three minutes flat everything that was going on with me without my even having to tell her. And she was accurate. Um, she was correct. She was very accurate, and she and 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 it, as well as that, she also prescribed some strange substances, some sort of you know nefarious herbal substances for me to go home and prepare. Um, told me how to eat properly, and within three weeks, I was feeling so much better that I thought, you know, there's something in this. I'd better, I'd better look into it uh, more thoroughly. And she actually also, the other thing she did for me, her name was Farida uh, Sharan. Actually, she's sub- subsequently become quite well known on the circuit. Um, but she also said, "What are you going to do with your life?" And I said, "Basically, I have no idea. There weren't really any jobs for English graduates in the late 1970s. We all went on something called the professional and exam." executive register which was the doll for smart kids <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and so um, you know it was it, it was a little bit like now there's a bit, bit of a recession on and um and um so uh, she said, well, why don't you come um, and train with me? So that's where it started, really. I started to find out, um, you know, started to learn what she knew, which I, which I was already hooked on. Um, and it went from there, really. It was a long journey. I'd studied a few different things, actually, before settling, almost like coming full, full circle and, and, and um, settling with uh, herbal medicine and iridology, which is what I do now. So did you get books open and started doing lots of study? Did you uh, it, it was very reach? practical, the training. In the, in the early days, it, it wasn't, there weren't many books available. In fact, one of the first books um, uh, that, that was popularly available, or readily available, was her own book called Iridology. There were some. Uh, there were a lot. There was a lot published in German, which uh, has now been translated into English. Fortunately, and a lot of the development of Iridology happened in Germany and also in America. Um, so there wasn't a lot of literature, and, and actually, some of the books were so huge, a sort of you know huge tomes that cost 200 pounds to buy so it wasn't very accessible so the, the training in the early days was was very practical it was very sort of groups of people experimenting on each other um finding out that way nowadays you can take qualifications to reach uh, yeah well I, I actually i actually run I, i'm probably actually without without wanting to boast i am probably the foremost trainer of iridologists in the country at the moment and that happened after my book was published in 2004 um, and that went that went global. It's published in about 12, 13 foreign language editions now, and it's used as a textbook in, in various places in the world. Uh, but I was also taken up by the College of Naturopathic Medicine in London, um, and I transferred my... I, I had a small te- uh, a cl- a course that I was teaching myself, and, and I transferred all that teaching to the college because they were much better at getting the students in and doing all the admin that I didn't really like doing. And I now teach... Um, I'd say uh, between 100 and 150 students every year at a basic level and take maybe uh, 20 or 30 of those on to advanced certification. And, and that's was, here in know, Cambridge MP? That's, yeah. No, that's in London. Uh, that, that's, that's, that's what I do in London. Here I, I, I'm a just practising jobbing iridologist, if you like. Yeah. And your surgery here is on Mill Road, I think? Uh, no, it's in it? uh, Sturton Street. Okay. I, I work from my front <laughs> room in Oh, Sturton. right, okay. I also have a practice yeah. in London, but, oh, you know, okay. yeah. Right, I get. Uh, I did some research on you, which is obviously completely wrong. Uh, yeah, that's a long time ago, <laughs> actually. Yeah, we you left. need to look into my eyes, not around my eyes. Where the end that's of the, the sort of thing to find out yeah. what's going on in my head. Um, so you've been practicing now for how many years? Doing this? Uh, it's it's uh, herbal medicine and iridology uh, in, in the shape that I'm doing it now is twenty years, but I've been involved in complementary medicine generally for about thirty-five years. So uh, let's go through the experience I might have then. I come to you, yes. Pete. I, I say, I need you to look at my eyes because I think you can tell a lot about my my well-being, my overall 
how I, how I might yeah. be feeling, both, um, I suppose, w- would it be the psychological aspect well, or would it be the actually, meta- yes. metaphysical? It's you know? not, it, it's, it starts with physical. It starts yeah. with the physiological. I mean, iridology was a diagnostic technique evolved by physicians in order to help with diagnosis and finding out what was wrong with people on a very physical level. So you could look in your eyes and say, you know, we think we have circulatory problems, digestive problems, um, endocrine problems. You know, there are ways of doing that. Um, certain things that we can re- reliably, if not diagnose, then at least uh, sometimes predict almost, like diabetes, for example, is very easy to, to spot a tendency towards diabetes. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, but, but you're right to say that latterly, Iridologists have very much started linking this up also with um, with psychological and emotional concerns mm. as well. And of course, there's a big connection. You know. I would think of just seeing a, a, a friend maybe and seeing bloodshot eyes, and I was thinking, oh, maybe it's after <laughs> you know, the, the morning after the, morning the after. previous well, you know, when excesses I first, of the night before. When, when I first studied, I was convinced that my teacher was going to be able to see that I'd drunk six pints of Guinness, Guinness the night before. You know, Of course, you can't actually do that. <laughs> That's not really what I mean, as a non-medical about. person, I would think if you've got bloodshot eyes, it could be that you have blood pressure, you know, high you blood could. pressure. I don't uh, know. And absolutely, there are some other diagnoses possible there. Yeah. Um, really what we I'd just like to get this in because it's very important uh, when I say diagnosis um, in in medicine generally diagnosis is putting a name to a disease i.e. sort of you know performing a series of operations that are designed to reveal the nature of the of the disease and very often that that's putting a name on it whether it's rheumatoid arthritis or you know hyper, uh, um, a high pressed stomach or whatever it happens to be in iridology it's slightly different because what we're looking at is your constitution so these are all the bits that you've been given by your parents that to some extent prefigure or predict what might happen to you along the course of your life. It's not a, it's not a prediction set in stone, but, it, but these are tendencies that most, most people, once you start talking about them, will recognise, yes, I do have a little twinge here now and again, or yes, I do have that problem. Um, so it's really about, you know, if you can look after your constitution, look after the bits that aren't so strong, that are perhaps, you know, not quite so well endowed, if you like, then you can... The idea is, and I think it works in practice, you, you can sort of steer your way through life um, you know, in, in health rather than sort of battling symptoms and sickness all the way through. So that's, I work very much in preventive health as well as curative. Yeah. So if I'm thinking of analysis of my health then and I want to see an iridologist, so I decide that, and uh, let's say I want to come and see you, yeah. Just talk me through the patient experience. What will I expect as I walk through the door of your surgery? Well, the first thing you'll probably notice is that in the corner there's a strange piece of equipment and uh, it looks a little bit like the sort of thing that you might see in an optometrist's office. Um, uh, And then I sit you down, I take a few details and um, at a certain point... I will ask you to sit in front of this machine and I will either scrutinise your eyes through a microscope and or I will take pictures. And these these days, of course, it's digital pictures which immediately are transferred to my computer screen where you can see what's going on and I can explain the issue to you. And we then have a conversation about your health and, Mm. and, and ending with some suggestions as to what to do about it. Pretty much a diagnosis and then yeah. maybe a reference to some herbal medicine. Uh, herbal medicine, diet is a big one. Yes. Um, you know, but I, d- I also use the technique of iridology to refer because there are some, you know, I can't deal with everything myself. So if I pick up, say, you know, musculoskeletal problems, I might, I might refer to an osteopath or I might even refer to a medical doctor if I see there's a need. Yeah. You're a herbalist as well. Yeah. Um, into herbalism. I would uh, certainly suggest you come back onto the program. I'd love to. To talk about that down the line. 
Well, thank you for uh, opening up the world of... It's my opening, opening my eyes to it's the world of iridology, yeah. Pete, if we can use that awful You can, part. indeed. <laughs> uh, but you were talking about your days back. Uh, we're talking about music of so long ago, even yeah. Kate Bush now coming up for 30 years ago. Uh, but uh, around about that same time, you're very much into Talking Heads, and you've chosen this next song for us. Do you want to introduce it and why yes. you've chosen it? Yes, I, I, I have chosen uh, This Must Be The Place, otherwise known as Naive Melody by Talking Heads. Yeah, that was Pete Main Jackson, an ir- ir- iridologist. Certainly come back on the programme soon. We'd love to invite you back, Pete. Thank you very much for that. Thank you. From 10 till 1. Mid mornings with Linda Ness. Okay, today our little interview is from Real Life Trust, and in particular from Jenny, John, and Chris. Now, I've met them before. And I know they've been fundraising because they they want to raise money to have big get-togethers for people called the Funky Flamingo Club. So one of the things that they're doing to raise funds is that they're going to be having a big night at the junction on Valentine's night. So here we meet Jenny, John and Chris. So we're back here at Real Life and we're back to hear about this big show that you're putting on in the junction. So who's got news to tell me about what's going on? Well, it is, it's an event that's happening on the 14th of February next year, and we've chosen February the 14th because obviously it's Valentine's Day, and it's going to involve some six-pack DJs, Mixed Bag Theatre, Mustang Mick, Funky Cafe... There's a bar which will be doing soft drinks, snacks and alcohol drinks. Our event offers people with disabilities or without a place where they can meet and have fun and socialise with people with the same needs. The money that we will earn will be used to run Funky Flamingo Club. So this money that you're going to be earning, this is the, the show, the fundraiser, isn't it, that you're going to be yes. putting on? Yeah, OK. So have you got any acts pulled together so far? Do you know who's going to be going on? Critics Band will be there. Um, and there's other things happening as well. A mixture of um, house, house hmm? acid house, punk rock. And finally, um, John gave me the details of how to book. Friday, 14th of February, 2014, and it's at Junction J1 on Clifton Way, Cambridge, CB1, 7GX. And time will be 7.30, and tickets in advance £8, and on the door is £10, and carrot is £3. Kids go free, and where you can book uh, and buy tickets, online on www.junction.co.uk and you can book tickets on the telephone on 01223 or you can go in person at the junction. And that was Jenny, John and Chris from the Real Life Trust and I wish them all the best Um, of luck with putting on that event on the junction on uh, Valentine's Day. I'm sure, guys, it's going to be a huge success. And please, if you're listening, keep in touch and let me know how it goes. All about the city. Cambridge 105.